0: all right welcome welcome everybody like what jenny said i hope i hope the time change hasn't been too hard um i know for me you know just thinking i'm getting older i still remember the time where i actually had to look for clocks to turn and then to know what time it is and make sure the alarm clock goes off but now everything is at least the phone is automatic i realize the car for me at least isn't but um it just makes me think about just kind of how easily I'm thrown off, you know, thrown off in, in just how I'm, you know, coming or how I'm here. And I hope that today, as we kind of read this passage, that it's it's really going <clears> to <throat> help us reframe, like, even when we think about worship, even when we think about coming into God's presence. And I, you know, as my hope, as we kind of continue on in the series in Acts, and, you know, a part of the theme of it in the book of Acts that we're talking about is experiencing the greatness of God together as a community, experience the greatness of God together as a community. And I think last week, <clears throat> Pastor Larry, when we had the message, uh, it was on, you know, Stephan and the deacons and how he was helping distribute the food and helping and, and kind of being picked for that. But what's interesting as we continue on in this message in the book of Acts, I think it's, it really shows, and he mentions this in Acts 6, uh, 8 through 11, is that as he, who he is Is a man full of God's grace and power, right? And he performed great wonders, signs among the people. And I think that's something that really stands out as I think about uh, all the things that was shared last week. And this man also serving in a particular area and, and just serving when he was, when he could, right? And in this particular way, he was also. narrowed, like singled out, and what we see here in today's passage, right, it's a really long passage, I I picked only certain pieces, just because it's, it could be 50 plus verses, right, and so I didn't want to go through all of it, but I, there's certain things that I want to bring up, and it is about his last sermon, kind of his speech before the Sanhedrin, and it, it comes with a little background, right, in Acts 6, verses 6, 8 to 11, is that their opposition arose. They see this man, that full of God's grace, perform great wonders, signs among the people, and opposition arose. And these particular people began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. All right? And it's a way that they called up false witnesses to speak against Stephen and to, to kind of put him on trial, saying that, hey, this man is speaking blasphemous words, things that you should condemn him, that you should be angry about. And this is why they arrested him and they brought him before this, this, this council of people, right? The leaders. And so instead of going through the specifics of, of what he says as, as a whole, I actually wanted in, to give a different perspective and a lens. Of what he's saying, and in, in the way I'm titling this chapter six and seven, what he speaks on in chapter seven is God's progressive revelation. And I want to focus on this in God's progressive revelation. It's the way that God reveals Himself over time, and how He continues to more fully reveal in the ways that we understand and see Him. And I think this is important as we read this passage. You know, I think if we, if I was expository and just kind of going through, we could easily go through four or five messages just to give background context of the things that he's speaking on and the history that he's speaking um, about to the people. But I want to just give it in this lens, because in this lens of progressive revelation is defined, you know, um, by Alec Moyder is progressive revelation is not a movement from error to truth, but from truth to truth, from the, the lesser to the greater, the provisional to the permanent, inadequate to the perfect, right? It is, it's something is progressing and allowing God to reveal himself just the way that he has from Genesis all the way to Revelations and how he sends his son. And I think this is beautiful, especially as we look at his arguments and what he speaks on to the people in this council, right? So <laughs> we're gonna look at three things. The first is his affirmation of the Old Testament. Right? How he affirms the Old Testament, how he affirms what is spoken and what we, what they know of, and at that time that's the Bible for them, right? He's going to speak on God's revelation of God's dwelling places, and then lastly he's going to speak on the circumcision of the heart, right? And I want to speak on all three of these aspects and how they affect us today. Right? So we're going to first look at this affirmation of the Old Testament. So this is, as Stephan is brought into the trial in start of chapter 7, verses 2 all the way to 50-something, we're going to look at only parts of the passage. It starts with this. The high priest asked Stephan, are these charges true, these false charges, these witnesses that were saying he was blasphemy against God and Moses? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me." Right. What we see and what we hear of just how he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why I want to bring it up, is that he brings up such beauty in the Old Testament that I want to highlight. You know, he gives a story from Abraham to Joseph to Moses. And this is a long passage. And like I said, each one, you know, could be expounded on. And I for the stepping stone retreat, I I spoke on the Abraham portion. Do you know, but I think what, <clears throat> what really stands out to me as just using one example is we're just going to focus in on the Moses, right? And what Stephen speaks on Moses and how that relates in this progressive revelation, this affirmation of the scriptures of the Bible of the, that they know of at that time. It goes in Acts 7, verses 20 onwards, right? It says this At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by Egyptians, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him. To rescue them, but they did not. Right? This highlights even more if you read in Exodus of just his life, Moses's life. This highlights so much more, and I'll get back to to this. In verse thirty-five, it goes: This is the same Moses that they had rejected. So it goes through the wilderness, how he takes them out of Egypt and into the wilderness, and how he meets with God on the mountain, and how they then start rebelling. And in verse 35, this is the same Moses that they rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? And he gives them, he was sent, Moses was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself. Through the angel who appeared to him in the bush, he led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and for 40 years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with his ancestors, with our ancestors, and he received living words to pass on to us, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Now, I won't go too much into this whole particular story in his argument, but he is bringing up the people, these three patriarchs, and <clears throat> for the Israelites said, To to understand, to know they, this is like they're important heroes for the history. And in doing so, when he brings it up, he also, in this particular argument, is saying Moses, people rejected Moses at that time, right? And later on, he'll use this in the argument of you guys are rejecting Jesus, right? And this is the bigger picture, the umbrella. But what I want to highlight in a separate kind of on a tangent of this is how this reveals. of the affirmation of the old testament i don't know about you but you know i know i get sometimes questions of like oh is this did this really happen are they just stories what should i think about in the old testament i don't really relate um even as i read to david or joel there are times where they ask these some of these questions like did jonah really get swallowed by fish you know like i how could we have a a beta fish blueberry how can they do that, you know? And these are the, the, perhaps the questions that you may get or may be thinking about. And sometimes I think when I realize this is it changes our perception and our understanding and our, even our, how we take in the scripture itself. Do we think of it as, you know, that's just kind of fa- fable, fairy tales or are there truths, principles that reveal who God is? that show his nature, his attributes. And sometimes I think that's hard because we just can't imagine it. We can't imagine how does this possible? How does he do this? You now, I, I was thinking about this because I, I, I read an article about all these different, I don't know why it's randomly popped up, okay? All these different uh, sea creatures that they caught, uh, right? And, and, and these are pictures of them. You know, and I was, when I was looking at these pictures, I was like, wow, I don't see this anymore, right? A, a manta ray that's 5,000 pounds, right? If you see how big that manta ray is, you see a sunfish that's over 3,500 pounds, and you even see a, a black sea bass, right? That's, that's 384. I took these pictures down in my, you know, of them because I was like, oh, I'm going to use this when I talk to my kids, you know, and just say, hey, there's bigger things. And even when you think about dinosaurs, right? But I think this is a one way to just kind of really ask us ourselves, what do we think about the Old Testament? What do we think when we see and we read these questions and we have these questions and they're valid, but what, what, how do we dig into it? All right, now one of these perspectives I want to give is the way that Jesus perceived it. Right, We see how Stephen he affirms it. He speaks to them. He speaks of the history. It, it correlates with what you read in Exodus. But you see also what Jesus speaks of the, of the scriptures, of the law and the prophets, right? In Luke 24, verse 27, and this is the road to Manus, and begins with, and Jesus is meeting with these two disciples, and he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You know, sometimes it's, it's important to take a step back and realize, wait, if there were significant errors that, that change the story of God, his, who he is, his attributes, I think Jesus would be like, wait, wait, all this except X, Y, Z. Do you know what? You got to think about these things. But rather he, he affirms it, he speaks to it, he draws from it, right? Jesus references the Old Testament. This is <clears throat> from an a article that Don Stewart wrote, and he gives about 13 reasons, and I'm only picking out th- three of them for us, right, of how Jesus affirms the Old Testament. He refers to it. He refers to the scriptures, and that's <clears throat> the Old Testament to us now that testify about himself, right? He cites and quotes 14 different Old Testament books, right? He cites prophets he cites old you know the the laws he gives these quotes and he allows people to to understand to know i think this is indirectly to me sometimes what we want to see as you know wait this i don't have to just push it aside i think it's hard especially more so than ever when we think about specific stories and i i want to just highlight a couple of them that i thought it was so interesting right jesus himself referenced stories in the old testament right he references the manna from heaven he speaks on it in john 6 he speaks on it of just saying how there is manna and the bread for life right he also speaks about sodom and gomorrah in matthew 10 he speaks about the flood in noah's day in matthew 24 and how that's like the thief that comes you know you never know when it will be and he even speaks on Jonah and the great fish, right? In Matthew 12. I bring this up because I think it's important as we look into scripture and as we look at the Old Testament and the way that Jesus and Stephen and many of the people and the apostles, what they saw and what they understood and how they took it. That posture, that understanding, that affirmation. And I think this is one that I want to encourage all of us. I think for me, I love the Old Testament. I love reading it. I, I, I see so much of how people respond to God. I see their more of what they think about, what they go through. And I, I love that of just having context and, and seeing how sometimes it's not easy. The doubts, the struggles that they go through are perhaps sometimes more illustrated in the Old Testament. And I think the, the storyline, the main principles, the specific things that Jesus wanted, if there were things that were dramatically changing the story of God, he would have brought that up. He would have said, no, no, this is actually not true. But what's interesting, and this is just you know, a, a short s- snapshot of this, is how Jesus affirms it, how he speaks to it. And I think for me... <laughs> how this plays out even in today's passage is that how it goes from not from error to truth but truth to truth lesser to greater provisional to permanent inadequate to the perfect right i even think about when he mentions moses and how he was educated what he saw of the people why he wanted to go there some of that is not completely explained When you read the Old Testament, it's Exodus. But then you get to passages like this in Hebrew 11 and in Acts. Hebrew 11, verses 24 to 26, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeing pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. You see, none of this may not be seen when we look just at the in Exodus, but as it progresses, and this is why I want to bring out the richness of scripture, is one that I want to encourage. There's so much richness as we study, as we spend, and that you know, that you can notice over time. But this has helped me in my own studies and my thoughts of even thinking, wait, when Moses left, he probably feared for his life and he ran away and that perhaps he enjoyed living that life. But in Hebrews and in Acts, what we see is that he didn't want to be called Pharaoh's son. He saw his people. He identified with his people. He chose to be mistreated. And this way, I just... Highlight this kind of progressive revelation, God's progressive revelation of Himself, of His people, and how that specifically affirms the Old Testament. I just want to give that as the first point because I realize how often it is that we may just skip the Old Testament. We may skip the things that we have questions with or disagree with, but I want to encourage, bring that up with another brother or sister, speak about that. This is a great space. To kind of discuss and that there is so much i think that could be understood when we don't brush it aside when we understand some of the nature and the attributes and who god is especially in the old testament you know these are kind of separate but another progressive revelation that what we see in this passage is we see god's dwelling places Right, we see how God dwells among His people, and how He encounters them in this relational pre- with His relational presence. Early on in Acts seven, it says this: "The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham." Right, He appears to people, and actually, it points to or even earlier in the Garden of Eden how His presence was there. But after they were, after they sinned and, and expunged and kind of moved away. Ex- exile from the Garden Eden, that God would appear, that God would appear to t- people, He would encounter them. And in this way people would build altars and they would build things to remind themselves, to, to see their encounters with God. And it goes on in the way that Stephen speaks on and I want to highlight for us in verses 44 and onwards, it says, Our ancestor had the tabernacle. So then Moses uh, of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon, his son, who built a house for him. And even goes on. <clears throat> However, the, the most high does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstone. Stool. what kind of house would you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? But what we see is this. Progression, right, and the ways that He's provide showing, you, you see that God is appearing before Moses in this burning bush, right? How He appears before people, He then gives them insight and understanding, and building the tabernacle, a place a dwelling for Him to show His presence for all His people, the tribes, and as they built that, that's where He would be, the manifest like a manifest present, physical presence. And it continues on, as they take over the promised land, into Solomon building a temple for God. Right, <clears throat> all this in, in a little s- snapshot could, could really be seen here in the first part of how God is in Eden, to then cast out the Adam and Eve. How he meets with people in Mount Sinai and altars and encounters people, to the tabernacle, to the temple. And ultimately to Jesus, the church, and the new creation. Right, I'm gonna kind of h- highlight and slide through this real a little bit, and then I'll, I'll talk about why it's the application for us is important. Right? It's to Jesus as in John 1:14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son. Who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This made his dwelling among us, is in the original language, pitched his tent, right? He actually kind of dwelled in it with his people, became more personal, direct, accessible, right? They could understand him. He's not only to one person, more people could assess him and just kind of see his physical presence. We see this throughout the gospel. And as it goes to the epistles and the letters, it starts speaking of how we are the temple, right? First Peter verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, you also like living stones are built, being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, verse 22, it says the same thing. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit, you see, through Jesus, through His Church, all right, through you and I, through people of God. Why is this important? Why am I bringing it up? You know, I realize you know one of the things that that has been, you know, just so helpful for me is worship. Right? I w- there was a concert, Maverick City, that I never even heard of that group before then, and Jenny. Knows of them and you know this shows you how I could stick with the same worship songs probably from the 80s, the 90s, or whatever else I've I've heard and I really liked and I could just listen to them on repeat over and over and I'm okay with that. Um, you know I always liked lyrics and I could listen to the words, but when she introduced me and we as you know you know different people of our church went to, to this concert, I was just blown away. I was blown away by their the worship, the lyrics, and now all you, I'm listening to is are some of their songs, right? But it brings me to this idea of this, you know, if we are the people of God, the ones that are being built, the ones that God brings together and his Holy Spirit resides in, what does it look like when we come before on Sundays, when we come before him in our times with him, of worship, of coming even to a church, right this is not to like make anyone feel bad but i think it's a challenge it's an understanding for me of what does it look like to come before god worshiping him and now we are getting gifted this presence this ability that through jesus to just commune with god even as we take communion today what does that look like as we come to church as we come to worship I know for myself, as a college student, I, I used to stroll in, and that's one of the things that uh, Christy would, you know, would mention to me. It's like, oh, I come in, and then there are times where I fall asleep. I'll be listening, and with my eyes closed, that's what I would say, but I would fall asleep. But over the, over the years, and kind of encountering God and getting, <laughs> getting to know him, I realized that there is something I miss when I come before. There's something I enjoy when I come in worship in the presence of God, in community with my brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean that it can't be happening by yourself in your own personal worship, but it is something that I want to bring up. The way that God reveals himself from just encountering, revealing himself, encountering in the individuals, and it goes from tabernacle, temple, right? That people would be so, <clears> at <throat> this time in, in age, and in Stephan's comments right by then that the original temple has already been destroyed but they would hold on so tightly that this is so important this building is so important that they would care about the outside and the the things that people see rather than the inside rather than how our lives are how the holy spirit is in our life and how when we worship is How in sync is that in our Monday through Saturday? This God dwelling place as he dwells with his people is one that shows us that to guard against, not just as he moves from this one location, the tabernacle to all of us. I think it shows us about how our worship should not just be this outward function but rather from the inside and how we speak, how we pray and spend time before God. And that is a challenge. What does it look like for each one of us Monday to Saturday and not just this time on Sunday? And that's what I'm excited about in the small groups and at Stepping Stone, the community groups, that we would develop a deeper love for God and deeper love for one another, that we could sharpen one another as we bring up whether we have questions how our times have been that he dwells in you he delights how does that look like as we come before him and i think this is why the third point <clears throat> that i want to bring up about how Stefan, when he brings this up about the dwelling places how he brings up his ar- final argument about the circumcision of the heart of how the people rejected Jesus, right? He gives this storyline of saying, I know the history, I am understanding. I, this is, there's no blasphemy, I am one. To how God has revealed himself and how people have rejected him. To lastly, his specific point of making in this sermon and in his speech, the circumcision of the heart. He says this right afterwards, Verse 51 onwards, you stiff-necked people. You, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received a law that was given through angels, have, but have not obeyed it. Right, this is when you put it right next to it and how he mentions Abraham earlier, the circumcision, they automatically compare things together. Right? They, they see it. They know it. This is what they are proud of. Right? In Acts, or the earlier verse eight says he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. Right? It was a sign of God's promise, this covenant his, that he would have with Abraham and all his descendants. That he would be their God. And in this way, the people at that, you know, in the council listening, that they're probably proud of the fact that they have this covenant of circumcision. But what Stefan really brings upon is this idea of circumcision of heart. When he says a stiff neck, he is referencing parts of scripture in the Old Testament that these scholars, these rabbis, these teachers, would automatically connect and know, but this is first further expanded when we see this kind of easily expanded in Romans 2, Uh, what is the circumcision of this heart, right, and he says obeying in earlier in Romans 2 verses 28 to 29, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical, no, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, And circumcision is the circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. That the circumcision of obeying is, is something that Stephan is really bringing out, challenging the people and what Paul will write in Romans. But it's not something new, right? And this is how I want the richness of things of why i'm jumping around in deuteronomy 10 god already mentions this to his people verse 16 circumcise your hearts therefore and do not be stiff-necked any longer you see all these words are, are connected together and even the words that Stephen uses as he speaks to the people right for them they would automatically connect i know for for me it's not something that you just automatically connect but for those teachers, the rabbis, the leaders, they would know the Old Testament. They would know these words and know that what Stephen is saying is not blasphemy. It's not something that he's pointing out, but rather it is throughout scripture. It is in the Old Testament and then further illustrated in the new, right? The stiff, do not be stiff-necked any longer. In Colossians, I think this is something that highlights it further. In him, Colossians 2, verses 11 to 12, in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Why, why is this? Why am I bringing it all up? And the circumcision of the heart, and even the mention of this is, you know, as I've been thinking about this, this circumcision of the heart, one of the things that you have to imagine is he's speaking to these leaders, these Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, the leaders that know the law, their teachers, their Jewish leaders in the area. And what he's saying to them is that they are not listening or hearing. Even though they see these signs, they see the wonders. They hear about them. They've perhaps known of Jesus' wonders and what he's taught and what he's done. But they see it in Stephen's life. It, it kind of mentions that that he is a man full of God's power, right? That it speaks on that that he shares this with the people. And yet, and yet, this is what I'm. Here they later on after these, after he gives this message, they take him out and they stone him, right? They, it says that they rip their clothes and they, they cover their ears and they scream as loud as they can to not hear anything. And they then stone him. You know, he brings up the circumcision of the heart is because at the end of the day, they didn't want to hear, nor did they want to hear, that they want or res- resisted the Holy Spirit and what, What's happening in their lives. This is something that hopefully is encouraging for us to a certain degree. Is sometimes we get very discouraged when we share with people. When we are like, oh no, I, you know, I, I shared and about God, about who he is in my life. And, you know, they don't want to talk to me, or they were mad at me, or even when I shared about if you want to share about Jesus and kind of share it with those around you not in a shoving it down, but just able to share who he is in your life and what impact and who, what you see and how you're encountering God in certain ways. And that you, you encounter people and you share it and you might get discouraged because they just, they leave and they don't care. I think what really <laughs> encourages me is, is this, is that there is a, the Holy Spirit is working in his timing in his place in people's lives. That if anything, what we see is that these people are leaders, intelligent, that is not just an intellectual argument that they needed to have from Stefan, but rather that they needed a spiritual renewal. One that I encourage us as we think about this, even in ourselves and as we share with people around us is what does that look like in our lives? What does that look like to pray even for spiritual revival in my life, in your life, and in those that you're sharing with? That it's not so much that people may feel, you may feel rejected because of how people respond to you, but ultimately it is their relationship and their time with the Holy Spirit now. And as an encouragement of what I mentioned In a couple sermons and throughout, is that I know for 20 plus years, my dad responded in very negative ways up until the very end. But what we can see beyond just how he speaks to the people, how he shares, and yet they still respond negatively, is how Stefan responds at the end. And I'll end with that in the circuit. He ends with praying for their forgiveness for they do not know. And, you know, we're going to come back to this because the, the person, one of the persons involved is Saul who will then hear and become Paul, right? His name would be changed. Right. And that being another message of just the conversion and how God speaks. But at this moment he prays. And even though he does not see the fruit perhaps of his prayer and what is happening. And he lives out as being the first martyr that what we see here, or he lives out as a martyr, that what we see here is that what he is praying for and what he sets in motion also expands to become the persecution of the church and the spread of the gospel. And that's what we're going to go with next week. But I think this is something we can all take away as we think about, as he presents the Old Testament, as he shares about the stories. I think it is something that I want to challenge. How do you read the Old Testament? What are your thoughts about it? And when you see it, is this something that you would take in as God's word or is perhaps just a story that doesn't relate? And I want to challenge that I think there always our principles and attributes of who God is that can relate, that can challenge, that can convict. It shows as he gives this message, how he reveals the dwelling places of God and how in this light, in this age, in this time, that we are blessed to have the Holy Spirit, the way that he leads, he convicts, and he shows you and me. And we wait for this new creation that is, the new Zion, when we come before him and we worship him in heaven. At this dwelling places, what is that challenge for us as we come before God and even our Sunday worship today, even as we take communion in a little bit? What does that look like? Ask God to show you, ask God to reveal himself. And ask him for the circumcision of the heart, for our hearts to be soft and for us to hear and to know and to not resist the Holy Spirit. For us to be encouraged that He was started something in you. He would deposit it, the Holy Spirit as a guarantee will com- bring it to completion. In that way, we can trust that He is always working, that how it looks, how it feels, perhaps sometimes, especially in today's time, of slowing down and just spending this time with God. We're going to have a communion right now, and we're going to have some music in the background, and I, I think before we take it, you know, I, I think I want us to just take a moment and just pause, and sometimes I know a lot of things perhaps will come into your mind. What do you need to do later today? What the things that you have to take care of this week? But do your best to just Either write it down and not think about it after that, or, or just say, hey, I'll think about it later, and not think about it. But take a moment and pause, right? And pause at how God may be revealing himself, how the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you. As we take this communion, that Jesus says, this, he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, This is the cup of the new covenant. The new covenant, what Stefan was talking about and what he brings upon is not the circumcision, the outside, but rather the inside, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is a cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's let's take the, these elements and just have a moment to remember. We pray for us. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for who you are, Lord. And Lord, even how you revealed yourself over time and how that is true even to our lives right now. That there's something so great in it, wonder and in awe that perhaps. It is hard to take, to recognize, at least for me when I first came to know you, to now just a couple steps ahead of just seeing you differently. I'm thankful that the way that you reveal, the way that you call, the way that you draw us to you is not just all these leaps and bounds, but rather step-by-step with you how you show us that you are always with us. How as we take communion, that you remind us of your new covenant of your body broken for us. Remind us that it is not how we can earn and live a certain perfect way, but rather because we are your sons and daughters that we choose to live. We desire to dwell with you. Bring us the sweetness and the richness of your word coming to life. Your spirit illuminating things of how you're leading for each one of us. I pray that we would have softened hearts, that we would not resist your spirit's lead that we would invite, that we would desire. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, I pray for each one of us, that we would respond to your spirit with here I am, and we would respond with just one step at a time. if there's anyone here that doesn't know and have not made those prayers, I invite you to just pray, God, I recognize and I see of your love for me that I am a sinner broken, but you have sent your son to reconcile, to build a bridge that I may know you and they have new life. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that this is something only you you can do. And Lord, remind us of the people that are around us that you have placed purposefully to extend your love, to share of your love, to love them ourselves. Remind us. Remind us to pray. Remind us to ask for your spirit to move. That is not always with elegant words. But Lord, it is with your spirit and your might that transforms lives. We thank you, Lord, that it is all you. May our worship and our meditation be pleasing to you love you. In Jesus' name.